Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's read verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins good about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication of the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this night that we have this privilege of being here. Lord God, that we have freedom in this country to proclaim your word. We thank you, Father God, for your word that you've given unto us, that we might, Father, in your words, search for you, that we might find the words of salvation, that we might find, Father God, instruction for our sanctification, and we pray, Father God, you'd guide tonight as we open up your word, that you give us wisdom and understanding. Lord God, that your word would indeed be opened unto us, that, Lord, we would understand its truth, that, Lord, you'd give me that guidance that only you can give. That, Father God, that I would be uh, hidden behind the cross of Calvary. And so tonight, Father, as I speak, I would speak your words, that you'd receive all the praise and all the glory, and we'd leave this place singing your praise. God, our time tonight in your word, we pray. Give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been challenged in Ephesians chapter 6 to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we've also been informed in Ephesians chapter 6 that if we are to stand, then we must put on the whole armor of God. Over the last few weeks, we have seen the first five pieces of this armor the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, and the helmet of salvation. We now come to the Christian's final piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit here in verse 17b. You know, the sword was an essential part of the armor of an ancient soldier. He had other weapons. He had the bow, he had the spear, he had the battle axe. But without a sword, no soldier would have regarded himself as being prepared for battle or being well armed. The ancient Roman sword, which is the one that Paul is talking about here, was a short sword and usually two-edged. It was ideal for hand-to-hand -hand combat. It was standard military equipment for all of the soldiers. All parts of the armor are designed for defense. But the sword is for attacking the enemy. And so if you went into battle and all you had was all the defensive gear and you didn't have the offensive gear, you didn't have the sword, then you really wouldn't have felt very comfortable in the midst of a battle. It was vital for the success in the battle. And if we're to stand in the midst of this holy war in which we find ourselves, then we too must take up the sword of the Spirit. So I want you to notice with me tonight that first of all it's called the sword of the Spirit. Nothing uh, spectacular about my outline by the way tonight, just uh, very simple, two points. 
It's the sword of the Spirit. That is that which the Holy Spirit furnishes or that which the Holy Spirit provides. The truth which he has revealed. That's what it's talking about here. It's the instrument by which God's Spirit works. God's Spirit works by the instrumentality of this sword that he gives unto you and I in working in this world, in working in, in the hearts and lives of individuals, it's this sword that is used by the Holy Spirit to have the impact that he desires. The idea is that the Spirit provides for you and I a sword. And of course it says the sword is the Word of God. That we have in our hands in the Word of God the very sword of the Spirit. Now in the ancient world, the sword is a weapon that was common to all soldiers. Whatever rank that soldier was, one piece of armor they always had was a sword. And in the battle, there may be some people without helmets, there may be some people without other parts of the armor, but there is not anybody engaged in the battle who did not have a sword. Because you just can't fight in the ancient days without a sword. You're not going to last very long in battle if you don't have a sword. And so likewise, the Word of God is to be put into the hands of every Christian as a soldier of the King of Kings. And the Holy Spirit has made available for you and I the Word of God, the very sword of the Spirit. Isn't that what we're told in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21? For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost gave us this book. This book that was given by inspiration of God was given to you and I by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He gave to you and I the very words of the Word of God. And each of us, as we enter the battle, need to know this, that we don't enter this battle unarmed. You and I are not entering the battle into this holy war wearing a Christian armor and God forgot to give us a sword. And you and I, therefore, are vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. You and I are vulnerable to the onslaughts of the enemy. No, God gave to every one of us a sword. He gave to us the Word of God. And each of us need to take up our sword if we're going to win the battle. And we do all that through the studying of God's Word and the meditating in God's Word. Now note, all the other pieces of armor are defensive whether it be the breastplate or whether it be the shield or whether it be the uh, shoes on the feet or whether it be the girdle, whether it be the helmet, every one of those are simply for defense. They're to protect you from the onslaught of the enemy, protect you in the battle from the blows of the enemy. The sword alone is the offensive weapon that we have. It's the means by which we advance into the enemy camp. It's the means by which we advance into the battle with the sword. And it's our means of resisting Satan. And remember, you know, Satan's, one of Satan's greatest weapons against you and I is the fact that he lies and he deceives. In fact, in John 8, 44, we read that he is a liar from the beginning and he's the father of lies and there is no truth in him. And the only thing that's sufficient the only thing that's effective against Satan, Satan's lies and Satan's untruth and Satan's deceit is the Word of God. The only way that you and I can defeat 
the lies, the deceit, the untruths of the devil is by going forth with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which is the Word of truth. And so secondly, we know that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. That is, this book that we have before us, these 66 books of the Bible, is all that God has spoken to us. It's His truth. It's His promises. The Word of God. This is the, the sword of the Spirit. This book that you and I have in our possession is the very powerful sword of the Spirit. It's the means by which you and I defeat the lies, the deceits, the untruths of the devil. It's the means by which you and I stand in this battle and fight. It is the truth. It's the Word of God. You know, it was this weapon that the Savior used when he was tempted in the wilderness, wasn't it? In Matthew chapter 4. It was only by this that Satan was defeated. It's the only by the Word of God that Satan can be defeated and met. You know, Christ did nothing more than just quote Scripture. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 4, please. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been led up into the wilderness and he's been there to be tempted of the devil. He's been there 40 days and 40 nights. And we read in verse 3, it says this, And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. The Lord answered this way in verse 4, but he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth of the mouth of God. Then in verse 6, And he said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In verse 9, and he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Three texts from Deuteronomy defeated the adversary, the devil. Satan came and tempted Christ. Christ then rebuffed him with the word of God. You know, when you think about it, Jesus Christ may have used any other form of deliverance from those temptations. He is the King of kings. He is God of very God. As he's there being tempted of the devil, he could have used any other means to defeat the devil, but he chose to use the word of God because he was setting for you and I an example of how you and I defeat the enemy. It's by the word of God. It's not by might, it's not by strength, but it's by the Lord we defeat our enemies. Error and falsehood can only be defeated by the truth of God's word. There is no other way of defeating the lies of the devil. There is no other way of defeating the deceit of the devil than by the truth of God's word. And we can only hope for victory if we're armed with the sword of the Spirit. Therefore, we should study the Bible. We need to study this book so that you and I know the truth, so that we're ready to give an answer to every man that asks of us the reason, the hope that is in us, with meekness and fear, that we study the Word, that we know what we believe. 
We should memorize Scripture so that as the Savior did, we can meet the various forms of temptation with the sword of the Spirit. And we should not depend upon our own reason or rely upon our own wisdom, but we ought to rely upon the Word of God. Because it's not by what we think or what we think we can achieve, it's by His might. Somebody said a single text of Scripture is better to meet a temptation than all the philosophy which the world contains. The tempter can reason and reason plausibly too, but he cannot resist a direct and positive command of the Almighty. Now think about it. Had Eve adhered simply to the Word of God without attempting to reason about it, she would never have sinned. Remember the devil said, Yea, hath God said, Thou shalt not eat of the tree of knowledge of the for then the day thou eatest thou shalt surely die. He brought into question the very statement of God, the very command of God. And Eve began to reason and think through what he'd said. And because she started to question the very word of God, she partook of the fruit. If she'd have just simply believed God's word, she would have defeated Satan that day and things would have been a whole lot different. You know, we'll stand only if we hold to the teachings of the Bible. If we oppose a temptation by a positive command of God, if you and I stand against error by the truth of God's word, if you and I stand up for righteousness against unrighteousness by the very commands of the word of God, as you and I take God's word and we plant our feet firmly in its truth, then you and I will be able to win the victory. But the moment we start doubting God's word, the moment we begin to flirt with sin, at that moment, you and I are in trouble. That's what Eve did. That's what led her to sinning. She started to doubt, started to question the word of God. She saw the fruit. She saw how beautiful the fruit was. and The fruit was something that was able to make her wise. And she there was tempted Instead of listening to the word of God, she listened to the word of the devil and she looked and she was enticed by doing wrong. But if she had not reasoned in that moment and simply believed, she'd have had the victory. And when you and I start doubting God's word, it's like we throw away our sword and we try to use our bare hands to meet our enemy. And if you're in the midst of a battle, your bare hands don't do an awful lot against the enemy, against the attacks of the enemy, against the blows of the enemy, who is onslaughting you with, with, with all the power, power that he has available, the fiery darts of the devil, and, and so on. You and I cannot defeat him with our bare hands. We have to use the sword of the Spirit. That's why it's important for us that we train up our children while they're young in the truths of God's Word. That they learn the Word of God, that they understand the Word of God while they're young. That's why we spend so much time having sparks and wana and proteins, and that's why we have Sunday school. You know, could we, could we uh, be a lot more comfortable and just enjoying ourselves like other people in churches and we just come Sunday morning 
to church, there's a Sunday night to church, there is no Sunday school, and there is no youth ministries and so on. Yes, but then we're not going to aid our children and those children from unsaved homes to get to know the Word of God, to get to know the Savior, and once knowing the Savior, be equipped for the battle at hand. It's important that they know the Word of God, that they understand the Word of God, that they are equipped with the, the very sword of the Spirit. So when they're older, they might be able to stand against the walls of the devil. Somebody said, temptation often assails us so suddenly that it checks all reasoning, but a text of Scripture will suffice to drive the tempter from us. Now, to understand the nature of what Paul is talking about here with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we need to understand what the word in the phrase Word of God is, the Greek word. It's not the usual word, which is the word logos. In fact, logos is the most common word used in connection with the Word of God, as in the case in Hebrews 4.12, where it says, for the word, logos, of God is quick and powerful and sharp into a just sword. And if you look through the New Testament, you find reference to the word of God. Uh, the Greek word is often, more, more often than not, the Greek word logos. The Greek word used here, though, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 is the Greek word rima. And it's quite, has, it's quite different meaning to that of logos. You know, logos is, a, is, a, is the most excellent word when it comes to defining this word, word. It's the name that was given to Christ. Remember, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God in John chapter 1. In fact, it was a great word in secular Greek even before it was taken over and used in a special way in the New Testament. Logos was a powerful word, is a powerful word, and embraces nearly everything. In fact, when you use the word logos and reference the word of God, you're talking about the whole of God's word. So in Hebrews 4.12, when it talks about the word of God is quick and powerful, it's talking about the entirety of the book. Genesis to Revelation, it's the entirety of the word. But rima means a saying. By implication, it speaks of a matter or topic. And here in Ephesians chapter 6, it speaks of a particular, a specific portion of God's written word that we engage in a battle. This is important because if we do overcome Satan, it is by particular words and particular portions of scriptures that we're going to defeat the enemy. You know, we don't go into battle and hold up our Bible and say, okay, where are you? We're going to get you. Okay? Well, that's not going to work. It's not a, spirit, not a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And for you and I to say, well, I believe the Bible. And then the temptation comes along and you say, I believe the Bible. But then something comes along and you don't know what the Bible says about that thing that you believe the Bible it's true, but you don't know what it says about that individual thing. So you don't know whether that's right or wrong because you know the Bible, but you don't know individual scriptures. Remember when Christ was tempted? He didn't just say, the Bible is true, go away. He said, it is written, and then quoted a portion of scripture, irrelevant for the circumstance. 
That's this idea here in Ephesians chapter 6. The word of God, the reamer of God. The only, uh, there is only one weapon. And that's the word of God. But it's the truths embodied in that Bible which are what we need to understand if you and I are going to defeat the enemy. Believers fall in the battle because they don't know God's word. The reason why false doctrine becomes rampant in a group is because they don't know God's word. And the reason why sin becomes prevalent is because people don't know God's word. The reason why things which once the Christians would, uh, would stand against are now being accepted is because people don't know God's word. They don't know how to use the sword of the Spirit. There's nothing in all of life that is more powerful than specific words of God. I mean, for instance, nuclear weapons are powerful. There's no doubt about that. If somebody dropped a nuclear weapon somewhere tomorrow, it would do a lot of damage. There's no doubt that nuclear weapons are powerful. But you know, the words of God can impart eternal life and take a person to heaven. That is far more powerful than a nuclear weapon. Isn't that what Romans 10 17 says? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Gossip, lies, slander can do great damage. James tells us all about that. How the tongue, being such a little member, can create such a raging fire. But the truths of God's word are more powerful than lies. And what is more, they can transform the liar. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it's the power of God and the salvation to those that believe. In times of revival, the words of God have transformed whole societies and whole cultures. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save people. God chose the foolishness of preaching to get his message out. God chose the foolish of preaching in order that the word of God, the words of God, may be preached, explained, imparted unto people so that people might be equipped for the service of Almighty God. There is nothing in all of life more powerful than the words of God. Think of its accomplishments. Think of its transforming power throughout the ages. We saw it this morning, didn't we? Saul, the murderer, Saul, the persecutor, Saul, the Pharisee, Saul, the Hebrew, Saul, who was so bent on killing Christians, was met on the road to Damascus, and the Lord spoke his words, said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And Paul, Saul, bowed down before God and said, that turn unto the Lord and was saved. powerful. Think through the ages of the people that God has saved. Think of John Newton, that slave trader, that God turned around and he wrote that glorious hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Think of all the others. Think of, think of, the, of those who are wicked people throughout the ages that God has done a great work. Think of the ones who are not that wicked in our eyes but have been saved through the ages. Think about you and I and the power of God to save us truly. As Romans, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a treasure sword, piercing even the dividing of son of soul and spirit, for the joints and the marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. God's word is powerful. And I think you and I sometimes underestimate the power of the word. We underestimate the power of the word of God. We underestimate just what this book can do. The word of God is this powerful sword and we cannot battle without it. And to effectively use the sword, we can't regard the Bible as a book of magic charms. Effectively use the sword, we must regard it as the very word of God. You know, if you and I are not confident about the inspiration of this book, that you and I really believe that this sword came from the Spirit of God, then you and I will not be able to use it effectively. But it is inspired. Not only did the Spirit give us the Scriptures, but He also makes them alive unto us and equips us to use the sword of rights through the Word of God. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, a passage we all know so well. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 16 and 17. Notice what it says. All the Scripture is given by inspiration of God which we believe. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That the man of God may be equipped for the battle. God gave to you and I his word by our inspiration the Holy Spirit moved men of God so that they could pen the very words of God's word so that you and I have in our very possession the inspired, inerrant word of God. And God gave this book to us not only so that we might know doctrine and correction and instruction, but you and I might be perfect. We might be equipped for the battle at hand. This is our sword. Think of a soldier or a gladiator who's about to go into battle. You know, they don't go into battle without training. They must practice using the sword ahead of time. Particularly if they want to be a superior fighter, if they want to survive the battle, they need to practice using the sword so they know how to thrust and parry. They know exactly how to use that sword. I mean, you know, if you and I today were thrown a sword and said, go and fight, not many of us would return. Some of us wouldn't be able to lift it up. Some of us wouldn't know what to do with it. We hadn't lifted it up. And some of us may get lucky and swing it a few times and may even cause some damage. But I suspect most of us would not be very good in the battle. Most of us probably don't have natural ability at wielding swords, particularly against an enemy who does. So the gladiator, the soldier, would practice in order to be a superior soldier so that he had more chance of surviving the battle because he knew how to use the sword. 
by practice, he develops his great fighting instinct. So at the time of battle, he instantly is able to recall his practice and he's able to use his sword precisely as is needed at any given time. And we likewise will never be able to use the sword of the Spirit in the fight if we don't take time to practice. You know, that's why we're told in Psalm 119 and verse 11 to hide God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against thee. That's why we're told in Psalm 119 verse 16 to delight in his statutes and not forget his word. That's why in Psalm 119, 133, we're to ask the Lord to order our steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. That's why in Psalm 119, 148, we're commanded to meditate in thy word. In Psalm 119, 169, we're to ask, O Lord, give me understanding according to thy word. If you and I are going to resist the devil... If you and I are going to withstand in the evil day and you and I are going to be able to stand in the midst of the battle, if we're going to find the convicting, converting, consoling words of God that we need to live and triumph for Christ, then you and I have to get to know God's word. We must take time to get to know the word of God, get God's word into our minds, into our hearts. We must read God's word. We must study God's word. We must meditate upon God's word. We must memorize God's word because the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It's our offensive weapon in the battle and it's the only means by which you and I can defeat the enemy and his lies and his deceit and his untruths is by the word of God. We need to hide God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him. We need the word of God to be a light to our path and a lamp to our feet all way. We need the word of God to uh, order our steps so that we might not sin. If we're, going to pick up, if we're going to be able to pick up the sword of the Spirit and wield it forcefully, then we need to spend time getting to know the word. For a sword to do the soldier any good, he must take it up and use it. And so it is with us. If the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is going to be any, of any use to you and I, then you and I need to take it up. You and I need to pick it up. We need to read it. We need to study it. This is no good to us if it just sits on the shelf gathering dust. And you read the Bible, and there's so much instruction in the Word of God with regard to you and I taking time to read God's Word, study God's Word, meditate in God's Word, allow God's Word to change us. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You and I were saved because of the Word of God. And you and I are to live by the Word of God. You and I are to take the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit and we are to make it a part of our lives so that as you and I enter the battle, you and I have some uh, force by which we can go forward and we can be offensive in our attack because we know the truth. They're wonderful words, but to useful, they must become, our, become ours. We need to learn them and know them. That's why David 
Or rather, that's what David was talking about in Psalm 190, verse 11, where he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. You read Psalm 119, you find a young man who just wants to get to know his God. And he wants to know God's word and God's commands and God's statutes and God's judgments because he knows that those things are the means by which he is going to be able to live for his God. The truth is, the only words that we... No, the truth is that the only the words that we know will be the words that are useful to us. You know, if we haven't got God's word in our hearts, when you and I are faced with, with a, an enemy who's coming and attacking uh, us and, and talking about certain things, if you and I don't know God's truth, we're not going to be able to defend ourselves against the enemy. When there's a temptation coming our way, if we don't know what God's word says, we're not going to be able to defend against the enemy. We need to know God's word. That's why it's important for us to put on the belt of truth. That is that we know what we believe. That's why we need the breastplate of righteousness, that we live what we believe. That's why we need the combat boots of the gospel, that we share what we believe. That's why we need the shield of faith to defend what we believe. That's why we take on the helmet of salvation to live in hope because of what we believe. And we take the sword of the spirits and wield what we believe. It's all tied together, beloved. It's all about God's truth. It's all about the faith. We need to spend time in the book because as you and I put on the rest of the armor, you and I will be able to wield the sword of the Spirit and defeat our enemy because we have God's Word in our hearts. We must hold God's Word in high esteem in our lives if we're to have the victory. Edward VI of England had such a high esteem of the Scriptures his coronation, the swords were delivered to him as the king of England, France, and Ireland. Having received them, he said, there is yet another sword to be delivered to me. At which the lords were wondering, what did he mean? King Edward responded, I mean, said he, the sacred Bible, which is the sword of the Spirit, and without which we are nothing, neither can we do anything. We need the sword of the Spirit because without which we are nothing. Neither can we do anything. It's true of us. Without God's Word, we are nothing. Without God's Word, we can do nothing. Without God's Word, you and I cannot stand in the battle. And that's why Christianity is struggling in this generation to make a difference. Because much of what goes under the guise of Christianity has abandoned the Word of God and embraced what the world has for uh, its, its people. And given the title Christian and portrays that in the world and somehow thinks that that's the means by which we see the world converted to Jesus Christ. Beloved, we need to take the word of God, stand upon its truth. That means that you and I stand out like sore thumbs in the midst of a cloud, crowd, so be it. Because without the word of God, you and I are nothing. And you and I can do nothing for the glory of God. That is word. Let's cherish his word. Let's hide his word in our hearts 
so that we may live victoriously in this world. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Father God, that you've given unto us the very sword of the Spirit that will enable us to be able to stand and fight to defeat the enemy, to use it in the times of temptation, to use it in the times whereby the devil spreads his lies and his deceit and his untruths. Lord, help us to treasure your word as the inspired word of God. And may we be thoroughly furnished. May we be equipped. May we be perfect unto every good work because we indeed have such a high esteem of the Word of God and its truth. Lord, commend your Word to our hearts this night, we pray. Bless now as we close, in Jesus' name. Amen.